0: Listen up, because I'm only telling you this once. I'm not bedtime story lady, so pay attention. It's 2033. The world is screwed now. You see, a while ago, this humongous comet came crashing into the earth. Bam! Total devastation. End of the world as we know it. No celebrities, no cable TV, no water. It hasn't rained in 11 years. Now, 20 people got to squeeze inside the same bathtub. So it ain't all bad. Wait, wait a minute! Wait a minute. Wait a minute, Doc! Wait a minute! Wait a minute! Wait a minute!
1: Wait a minute! Wait! Wait a minute. I see what's going on here. Wait a minute. No. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Hello and welcome. Welcome and hello. This is Wait You Haven't Seen, the podcast where we find a movie that one of us has not seen and we talk about it. Um, I am your host, Travis, and this week joining me I have AJ. Hello. David. Hello. And Keith.
0: Two in a row.
1: Yeah. Uh, so this week we're talking about the 1995, uh, some would call cult classic, Tank Girl um now i've seen this movie before uh i believe aj you had i had not okay so you hadn't david you hadn't seen it before i know
2: uh and life was better
1: (laughs) i'm gonna i'm gonna second that and keith you had not not
2: seen it. it either
0: i i had not it had been on my radar for a while i've just never been able to get a hold of a copy
1: okay um yeah so all right uh 1995 uh based on a british comic strip um, from uh, a magazine. Ah, what was the magazine called? It got started... Um, was it
0: in the Dark Horse?
1: No, it was a, a comic strip from... I think it was called Deadline was the, the comic, uh, the, the magazine. Deadline. Yep, Deadline magazine. And um, interestingly enough, so it was created by two guys uh, the comic strip was, Alan Martin and Jamie Hewlett. Um, Jamie Hewlett Actually went on to co-create Gorillas. Mm-hmm. Um, that was one of his later projects, but uh, it was it was like well, a he got better. Yeah, well, it was so it was a cult followed kind of UK comic strip, um, and the director of this, Rachel Rachel Talalay, um, she picked up the rights to direct it based on she was given a copy. Of some of the collected works I think to read or something. Uh, fell in love with it wanted to direct the movie so she went out, sought out bought the, bought the rights and wanted to make it Her list of credits is interesting so she only directed three um, theatrically released movies uh, and they were Freddy's Dead The Final Nightmare in 1991 Ghost in the Machine in 1993 and Tank Girl since then Mm. she hasn't directed anything that's gone into theaters it's all she's been directing like crazy but it's all been tv series episodes and um tv movies and she's done some stuff that you might have heard of um i don't know if any of you remember the the series touching evil um from uh, about 2004 but she that was a remake of a british series she actually worked on both of them and helped produce the american version um Recently yeah recently she's done um, she did some episodes of Supernatural, The Dead Zone, um, Continuum, uh, you know, Sherlock, Doctor Who, stuff like that Iron Fist. So she's done a lot of directing, just not feature films. Um, this was like the last one. and I guess from what I was reading about the movie, um, it was a pretty bad production. Uh, the actual production was okay, then the studio kind of stepped in and did a lot of cuts that they feel like hurt the stuff now having said that I don't know I don't know that I completely agree that the, the cuts are what ruined it but before we kind of dive into that I want to go around and see what you guys this being your first viewing of it thought of the movie so let's start with David
2: uh, Travis uh, I say this with no small amount of um, you know ill will Mm-hmm. fans of this film and no amount of hyperbole this is probably the worst movie I've ever seen
1: really okay yes uh, let's let's get back to that here in a second but uh, AJ what did you think of the movie
3: I, I would I would like the two hours uh, spent on this movie back <laughs> um, I, I don't know who to talk to about that but but I would I would like that that yeah. those life minutes back. If you
2: get his number. Let me know. Yeah uh, yeah, um, we'll
3: get you in touch with management and
2: uh, they'll get so, back to
3: you. So I, I can delve into that a little bit more. I mean, part of it is you have to remember that it was done in '95. So okay. there's. So was different...
2: I, and you know how I turned out.
3: <laughs> well, well, just you know. you know some some of the the comedy and some of the catchphrasing was different, you know, compared to some of the more recent stuff. I, I just. I, the film is supposed to take place in like 2030, 2033, and yet there's these constant references back to things that were happening in the 90s. And so there's this giant disconnect with pretty much any, you know just reference to, to pop culture because it's actually 40 years in the future Mm -hmm. and she's not old enough to actually know about any of them.
0: So like that just stuck in my head every time she did something. And then it it didn't, it didn't really seem like anything would have been, Oh, well this is the remnants of society. It's all we have left. And have that make sense. It just kind of the, you know, the, the meat, the, comet or meteor thing happened well enough into the future that 90s catchphrasing and stuff would have passed on.
1: Yeah, I can see what you're saying there. I mean, there wasn't a lot of, like, world-building done. There wasn't a lot of setup. It was just hey, a comet hit, we haven't had rain for 11 years, and here we are.
3: Well, and then I also felt like she was she had the the mentality of like like a a 9 or 11 year in how she operated and, like, back-talked it's,
2: and, and it's made decisions. interesting the... you bring up her mental age because one of the biggest parallels I kept drawing to a far greater character, and I know not everybody who listens to this uh, plays video games, but I believe that I know at least two of you know this character, uh, Tiny Tina, Borderlands
0: 2. Mm-hmm. Yes, I reminded actually made of... that comment while watching the movie. It
2: reminded me a lot of her. There might be a lot of um, the animated series Harley Quinn uh, without any of the depth. Um,
0: yeah.
1: It, so, I think some of that missing depth probably comes from a lot of the cuts that were made. Um, and I'm, I'm going to kind of go over those a little bit later because I've got some trivia outlining a lot of stuff that got cut from this movie. That
2: except turn the light white.
1: Um, there was a lot that got cut out that I think adds to it, but... Uh, To your point, AJ, I kind of get what you're saying as far as, like, you know, it was a mid-90s movie, and all of the references are going to be from there and and back, because that's all they know writing the script, but I don't think they did a good enough job kind of setting up what the world was to say, well, because they talk about the war at one point, some vague war, which I assume was pre-Comet, although they don't flesh that out, and... With that there could have been something where like, you know, this war raged on for a long time and so there wasn't any more pop culture.
0: I know that I I watched it and I'm thinking to myself, I would have enjoyed this in nineteen ninety five. That is no when longer When I was ten, yeah. Um <laughs> Yeah, you know, I would have been like thirteen. So this would've this would have fell right in my wheelhouse, you know? Because, um
1: You know, I saw this in the mid-90s. I don't think it was 95. It was probably about a year later. I remember uh, seeing it on, um, you know, home video renting the VHS tape for it. And I didn't hate it at the time. Watching it this time, I didn't hate it. I can see why you would. Like, watching it, I understand
0: where you're coming from. And I think I just feel like... I would have enjoyed this viewing more if I would have had the nostalgia of watching it back in the Mid to late nineties. I I guess
3: the thing is that like when I do go back and watch movies for the nostalgia because it's playing you know it's an old movie playing at a, at a theater you know locally friends want to get together and watch something you know we will comment on like oh my god how horrible was our taste this movie's horrible but at the end of the day like you, there are still redeeming qualities you know you can go you'd say well the reason we did like this was or the acting was this or you know there was an interesting storyline here. This, I don't know. Didn't I guess really
0: have any of that.
3: I, I just felt like it was missing everything. I mean, the only thing it, yeah, it, it really, it had like an aw- odd montage when they were getting the tank done. Um, yeah. They offered no character development other than the, you know, co- the co-star girl went from being horrible hairdo and like looking schlumpy to, you know, looking a little bit better at the end of the film. I think that happened when she slept with the kangaroo guy. But again, I'm still not certain if she actually did.
1: Okay, There's so. two things I want to cover on that. Uh, first of all, the sentence uh, ending with she slept with the kangaroo guy is probably not <laughs> something that you woke up this morning thinking you were going to be saying.
3: No, no. Yes,
1: and the other thing is you're talking what? about the co-star girl. Uh, you, you're, you're talking about Naomi Watts.
3: You're talking yes, about yes, Oscar
2: nominee Naomi Watts.
1: Um,
3: I was blanking on the character's name. Jet so. Girl. Jet Girl. Yeah. Jet Girl. Okay. Um, yeah. You know, she went from looking there to like, oh, good. But you know, that transition was horribly done. I mean, she, you know, we have this like odd light bestiality with these like pseudo kangaroo guys. Um, although I will say I thought it was very amusing that the uh, the clothing they wore actually had like like tailored holes in the back for their tails. I thought that did show a lot of attention to costuming. I think well, that's not uh, anything, I have anything
1: good I can say about this. I have a lot more to say about those characters. We're going to talk about them in a bit um, because there there's actually some really cool trivia to do with the the rippers. But here's kind of like thing. how
3: Ice Teeth be ashamed of himself for doing that.
1: Everyone um. In that movie. So, <laughs> well, you know, it's funny because uh, there's IMDb Trivia says, and the line is just simply, Naomi Watts, di- like, uh, what was it? Naomi Watts hates her role in this movie or something. And that's it. I'm like, <laughs> well, that's, Naomi Watts is ashamed of this film. Um, <laughs> but apparently, Malcolm McDowell spoke really favorably about working on it. Uh, and Laurie Petty, well... to this day, still loves the movie. Now, her I get. Here's the thing, and here's something that I don't think any one of the four of us are truly qualified to talk about, but certainly aren't uh, aren't thinking about when we're watching this movie, is this is a, a female-led comic strip that gets turned into a major motion picture starring a, f- uh, a woman. The, the main roles are women with a female director. Um, it's gotten a lot of cult following as being a uh, bit of a feminist movie and in the 90s it certainly was
0: um oh yeah that was well i
1: mean, I mean think about at the time that this was made the 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 quote unquote feminist movies especially anything based on a comic strip or comic book or anything with any kind of action uh there really weren't any you didn't have uh you know eon flux you didn't have what was the the per- terrible knockoff that, ultraviolet you didn't have um you know, underworld at that point like this kind of paved the way for a lot of that to be in <sighs> movies because somebody took the time or the the me you know took the leap to spend 25 million dollar budget uh, movie in 1994 to make this
2: it's it's neat to bring up the feminist aspect because I was looking at other comedies that came out in 95 and uh, I wouldn't necessarily call it I would actually call it pretty far from feminist. The other big one I, I immediately jumped out to me that was female led. Uh, I don't know if it's female directed, uh, clueless, uh, not very feminist. Um,
1: pretty, uh, well, isn't easy. isn't that's that's one yeah. that's one that I kind of want to revisit because I haven't seen that since the late '90s, and I'd be interested to kind of see what I think about that now. But, I do
3: think that. Well, it may not have been. Particularly feminist, I think that having an entire portion of the story arc dedicated to the fact that there were there was a gay character was probably very uh, advanced for its time. I mean, that may have been yeah, more common out west, but to to the rest of you know the United States, you know, the gay culture really wasn't. It, in the mainstream yet versus today where, you know, Will and Grace has had a rerun and you're going, well, yeah, of course it was great. You know, half the characters are gay. Some of them are gay in real life. Let's keep seeing how this goes. You know, that's just common friends growing up with kids and they're like, Oh yeah, Julie has two moms and that's just normal. And they actually like had gay characters in clueless and that was accepted. I don't know about the feminist side of things, but perhaps someone that knows better than I would be able to comment on that yeah, and, and educate.
1: Again, obviously we are, we are four of the least qualified people to talk about feminism. Hey, but, I've talked to
3: agree. a woman before,
1: but I will say that what I, beat.
2: I've talked to several. <laughs> I,
1: I did read some things about tank girl and there were some, uh, themes. Uh, uh, there was a couple of different, you know, feminist authors, um, or researchers that talked about, um, just, there was a lot of feminist themes in there, classic Western generic emotional and moral justifications, you know, that kind of stuff. I see that. And 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 because it was a movie at the time when there weren't a lot of that type of character out there, that, you know, girls from 10, 12 up to, uh, you know, early 20s could really latch on to this character of Tank Girl and like her way of, you know, I'm going to flip off this guy and I'm going to have all sorts of goofy one-liners, and I'm going to dress however I want. Like They can latch onto that. So it makes sense where some of the cult following for this movie can come from.
0: It really did feel like a lot of irreverent anarchy. And that's probably what they were going for, because that was kind of a big... um, From what I remember of the mid-90s, that that was a pretty um, popular thing to throw at people. Oh, definitely was. Wise was, you know, irreverent anarchy, I and mean, it's just.
1: Well, and I guess, the, yeah, and the whole strip got started as as anarchy and anti-establishment, uh, you know, themes. So that's kind of where that was born out of.
3: I guess when I think of the the anarchy and the irreverence, in my mind, you know, I immediately traditional uh, punk, and like it, you know, it's origins or you know a, a decade or two back further, you know and you had you know, you know anarchy in the uk and stuff playing on the radio at least some stations and this again it's just like ugh. i don't know i guess i was just i was paying more attention to the grunge scene out of seattle at that time than i well, was
1: so that's a good point because you got to remember this comic got started in the mid 80s in the uk yeah so its themes are going to be following that it didn't and then the movie came out In the US in the mid 90s. Sex
0: Pistols meets Monty Python. Felt a bit like that to me. I would probably less, uh, yeah,
1: I I can see that. There's a little less of kind of a Monty Python style of humor. It's a little angrier than that. My only thing is, like, they're a decade late, that because,
3: you know, like, the key Sex Pistols was, you know, they were, you know, one of the forefront with the 70s punk leading into some of the eighties punk. And I really didn't feel any of that coming in other than just this, like attempt at a throwback. And it was very weak. It It, felt just.
2: It was the mainstream trying to latch onto that punk thing with sort of a, how do you do fellow kids? A little bit. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, Uh, mentality like, yeah, we're punk too. We'll make a punk movie. And of course, you know, seditious Johnny Rotten
0: would all be like, at at least at the time, just... There would have been middle fingers and... punk.
1: You know, I I wrote a note to myself while watching it, and I just... All it says is there was a lot of energy in this movie, but there's no real direction in the story. And I think that's what hurts it in the end. I think if it had a really good, cohesive story, then... Because this movie really embraces the crazy that the, the whole like idea of the comic was trying to get across and the, the, the styling, you know, the movie really steers into that. But it does so, whether it was the studio cuts that we'll talk about or whether it was just a, a lack of uh, good direction from a young director or what, it loses that focus of the story. And so it just feels like a bunch of small pieces that never really add up to anything. Um, it yeah. did
0: feel that way. I,
2: I started it last night and finished it tonight. Um, <laughs> and when I paused it last through. night to do something else, literally <laughs> anything else, um, <laughs> I paused it and I went, oh my God, there's only like 40 minutes left. <laughs> and I felt like nothing had happened. The main story hadn't really been pitched. We didn't, like, yeah, the dude was bad or whatever, but she got away from him and it just felt like so much happened but none of it was connected and it ended up feeling like
1: Yeah, there there really was nothing, a lot of like
0: nothing landed. Yeah for me. I, I one of the things that irritated me was you know, how does she control the tank? That that's never ever even brought up she just whistles, she whistles and here whistles comes that, the tank i'm like yeah, yeah
1: i i actually i asked myself that same question like so wait her tank's got her tanks sentient now like when did this happen
3: yeah it, it nods no that it can't shoot you know Is malcolm mcdowell's character
1: comic? i don't remember because i didn't really read the comic a whole lot i just remember the the kind of styling of it um more than I, I it, the actual content I think this is what a bad acid trip would be like. You know, it—they were trying
3: for something and it didn't happen, and it was just like, "What is going on?" Oh no! But not no, in an no. enjoyable kind of way.
1: I think uh, uh, you want a bad acid trip? You, there's there's some
0: animation stuff you can watch that'll give you that, but. Um, <laughs> and and speaking of animation, the animation cuts worked a lot better than any of the live action. Well, so, and that's. I my, I think my... that this would have been a better movie if it had been entirely animated. Well, which it is would have been more with the comic that it came from, it I think. It would have been the punk and...
2: version of Heavy Metal. Yeah,
0: yeah, it would have been. My, my only forth. thing
3: is that th- th- the use of the comics and where they did the cuts and uh, just editing and directing that didn't feel cohesive. Like no, the animation itself was solid. You know, the, the music that was actually playing and how they were getting the message across during that was good, but it felt like it just popped up in the most. Yeah. I don't know. Odd, you know, it wasn't that I wasn't expecting it. It just felt like an odd place to go ahead and have, you know, this all of a sudden, boom, we're going to have two minutes of, of animation because that, make sense apparently
1: yeah so i guess from what i read that some of that animation stuff was because there were scenes that never got shot um so because of that and uh and everything you know they they had stuff like that going on um okay i'm gonna pause for a second i've got notifications that keep popping up on here and i fucking hate that so i gotta because I saw David, you just sent something, and you know now I get notifications it's for that. To
0: Facebook.
1: It doesn't matter. It still pops up on my computer. Gosh, David. So I just want to try you and
3: pause the recording
1: too. I will. I'll cut this out. Um...
3: So if anyone wants to drop an F bomb, now is the time. Fuck.
1: Fucking right. love,
0: to.
1: Okay. Um, we're gonna pick back up in three two, one. Um, yeah. So, I mean, you know, there was, as an, an odd aesthetic that I, I agree that I think the animation was really good. I don't think it fit. Uh, you know, it was very much like, Hey, comic movie, look, we're based on a comic is what it felt like to me. Um, and yeah. a lot of nineties, there was a, there was a few movies in the nineties that did this that were, uh, that were based on comics, but this is the one I remember the most for it because it was just put in there so much, and part of it was that they had scenes that just didn't get filmed, like I was saying. So um, they had to fill that time. Like the whole, I, I kind of likened the whole montage of animation while they're rebuilding the tank and the jet is like, we just didn't have the budget to actually show this part. So we're gonna they animate it.
2: So much didn't have the budget that they used the same shot multiple times.
1: Yeah. Um, oh,
2: that
3: was speaking of that was one of the most confusing. And shitty editing things done towards the end where they're doing the, like the attack on the base. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Go. You like my recollection is they show the jet and then they show, you know, tank girl, like paragliding in. And then you show her tank and, and then she's in the tank shooting stuff. And then magically she's back up in a parachute and it just seemed like they kept bouncing back and forth with no
0: cohesiveness. I think tank like was autonomously shooting at that point.
1: Yes. But again, they never established <laughs> how or why that was possible. So it just makes you feel disjointed. It's the same thing with like when she's attacking the, the, uh, that semi-truck. Yeah, yeah. The caravan. And it's like, she's down in the tank and then she's up on top of it. And then she's out on the gun and then she's back you know on top of it and it just she keeps moving around it's this frenetic directionless energy that
2: uh what was it rated was it pg No, it was
1: rated R. Absolutely.
0: Uh
2: This was the barely R. Barely. They could have This,
0: this taken was a, this s- was a 1995 R. Yeah,
2: but they could have taken so much many more risks and so much more I think they could have done... I think they could have just pull, pushed it straight into, like, full slash fic, like, you know, gore and nudity everywhere. And I well, honestly think that would have improved the film. So
1: you say that, and here's the thing. Um, there was yeah, actually... Was one of the things cut was a scene, so after the whole dancing scene, and, you know, the then they have the their post, post-coital... Dancing scene so oh, they have they, they yeah the well so there was apparently in that sh- in the the scene after that where they're laying in bed uh they had a full ripper naked ripper suit um huh. that was made <laughs> that they ended up having to cut out because the studio was like oh, no, no 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 no, kangaroo penis in our movie <laughs>
0: <laughs> Shame. Um, You know, you know that's actually a cut that I am very much sad for. If I'm going to sit through something like that, I need something to really just be like, give me a total WTF. Yeah. Uh,
2: The lying in bed scene. I want to. I want to know if any of you guys noticed this. Um, As the camera zooms out from Booga and Becky or whatever fuck I don't know how to. Mm -hmm. Tank Uh, Tank girl. Yeah, her. Um, As the camera pulls out, his arm is around her shoulder. And you can see his sleeve is rolled up a little too far, and you can see where the glove ends. Oh, they had so a few,
0: of,
1: a few of those in oh, that yeah. final battle. I
0: noticed a few, uh, a few pull strings. Yeah, in the final battle, me.
1: I saw at least three or four different harness wires and pull strings and all sorts of stuff like that. Um, they, you know, and part of that, it's ninety-five. You don't have the budget to. Like, today's movies, that, that stuff is all over the place, but they go back in, they digitally paint it all out, so you never see it. They didn't have that technology back then, so you really had to try and shoot everything to where you couldn't see those wires. They just yeah, didn't do a very good job To, of to
2: it. be fair, I mean... A pulling they're... out camera shot is not a... of two people lying stationary. No, it's no. It's a pretty easy redo.
1: Well, you would think but... so,
3: Yeah. I I agree. The thing is that, like today, and and I'll use this as an example because it came out this weekend, Avengers. You know, when I've seen the behind the scenes, we're not. I haven't seen it, so I can't spoil anything. Who has seen it? It doesn't matter. Um, (laughs) But like when I've seen, you know, like like you know the the behind the scenes and the you know director stuff about you know like the first one or any of the other prior films. There are entire chunks of the film where everybody is wearing like a green suit against like a green background <laughs> it with wire. I of
2: all the behind the scenes of the uh, the new Star Wars trilogy. Yeah, I the mean, second Star Wars trilogy. It's all just blue.
1: Everything's well, blue. There's but here's no- the thing. <laughs> so and
3: so that you could just everything was being done digitally. To, you know, versus. Those were actual suits and well, real people on wires. and. <laughs>
1: well, so here's the thing. So Avengers has a budget of like $250 million or whatever. Okay, This movie has a tenth of that budget. They're not doing everything on green screens. And it's, it's the actors themselves in these suits. So I get that. I'm, what I'm saying is they could have done a better job of hiding some of that. You can do it. Through you know camera tricks and whatnot, and a little bit, and they just didn't have the budget or the time apparently to do that. They did go over time shooting the movie. I did read about that by a couple of only by a couple of days, but um, yeah, it, and you see that, and that does kind of take you out of it. I'm like, oh, okay, well, now you know, I, I believe this world even less. Um, however, okay, so you guys recognize Ice T, obviously, right? Mm-hmm. Um. This was, you know, 1995, Ice-T. Uh, this is pre-Law and Order. Um, I thought he was fine. He was being Ice-T. I
2: like how they played his one song twice.
1: Yeah, they played his one song twice. You know, he got to be, who were you reincarnated from? I was a cop. Uh, that that was a line in 1995, 96 Poor when Shallow. I saw this movie. Well, when yeah. I saw this movie for the first time, that was funny. Because that was the period of time where he was still Ice-T from Body Count. You know, he hadn't become what he was now, but, uh, so that was him. um, Booga was actually played by, uh, Jeff Kober, who isn't, um, Eric Roberts, but occupies the same space in my brain as Eric Roberts. And every time I see Jeff Kober, I think it's Eric Roberts at first.
2: Put that on the IMDb page. So, uh, Jeff Kober, notably not Eric Roberts. Yes.
1: Um, (laughs) and then, um, the uh, the Jack Kerouac uh, Ripper, the one that has his ears tied back and play the saxophone and all that. Rich, um, yeah. Reggie yeah. Cathy. And I'm sorry, but Reggie Cathy, even through those horrible prosthetics, voice smooth as butter. Love listening to that Red, guy and yeah. anything he does. I
2: would say he's probably my favorite character.
1: He was great. Like, just so ridiculous. Yeah. Has his ears all tied back. He's wearing the sunglasses. He's just a cool dude.
2: He's the only one who I think did ridiculous well.
1: Oh, yeah. No, he well, he just steered into the skid, like, he absolutely embraced how funny and goofy that, that character was to play. You know, right. I think that uh, that Booga was played, you know, for what they made him into, which is kind of tropey to have you know, the dumb uh character that's you know, super innocent. Uh, but I thought he was fine, I didn't have any problem with him. I honestly. I had fun watching this movie again. Now, maybe it's because I saw it back in 95, 96, and I have some of that uh, nostalgia for it, but I I can see all of its flaws. It's not a good movie. It's not particularly well-made. It's not wonderfully well-directed at all. I still had fun with it, and I think some of that is Laurie Petty. You can tell she's having fun with it. You can tell Malcolm McDowell is having fun. I don't know that I'd watch it again. I certainly, depending, I, I, I wouldn't recommend it to just anybody, but I do think that there, there is merit to the movie as a you know Saturday afternoon schlock fest. Like, it's not a go out you know, set a have a movie night and we're gonna watch Tank Girl, but you know something fun so- to put on and and catch.
0: I don't I don't have a problem with that. I think it's one of those movies where afterwards you do need something to wash your mouth out a little bit. Um, Just, just because it's, it's so just, just, it's disjointed. It's all over the place and it's, it's kind of hard to follow.
1: Oh, it definitely, no, it definitely is. I'm not disputing that at all. I'm just saying it's fun. It's for all that, for all that directionless energy. I could watch it again. No, you no, know, you guys don't have to. You've watched it now. You can say that you've seen it, and you never have to watch it again.
2: There are, there are critically bad movies that I think are fun. Mm-hmm. This just didn't touch that same nerve ending for me.
1: No, yeah, it didn't. You know it. It wasn't. It wasn't in your wheelhouse, and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, and. <laughs> Another layer
2: of disappointment was this is the first movie I watched after setting up my new stereo, (laughs) so I'm going to have to watch something. Oh, literally, it's funny. The first thing that came to my head is a critically bad movie that's fun, Pacific Rim.
1: (laughs) Oh, that'll test out your speakers, that's for sure. No, you know, you're not alone either in not liking this movie. Honestly, it had a 25 million dollar budget. It made back worldwide 6 million. So, oof, no one else went and saw it either. It made Okay, so it made 2 million dollars in its opening weekend, all right? 95 2 million dollars. It's not good, but it's not horrible. It's it made 6 million for the rest, you know, 4 million dollars for the rest of its run. It made 2 million of that in its opening weekend in the US. So, nobody I mean, went t- and saw this.
3: If we consider this in like today dollars, so let's, you know, do the inflation calculation, that's almost 42 million, which is not, I mean, there have been plenty of films made for less. Not everything is.
2: We should get a jingle for inflation calculation.
3: (laughs) (laughs) I'll work on Uh, that. Well,
2: it's, it's, it's,
3: I think it's fair to go ahead and try to compare apples to apples because otherwise you can look at some of these great classics or horrible movies and, and things that were on epic scale. And, you know, they're done for X million dollars while well, it was done in 1950. It's not fair to compare that unless you adjust. Um, and then the other one is just like I could take another like really mediocre film that I don't ever foresee watching again, such as Street Fighter, you know, with Jean-Claude Van Damme from 1994. That was not well done. That, that you know, that was not a good film. And no. yet they made it for thirty-five million, and they made
0: almost a hundred. We've talked about that I, before, I though. I have a theory that that movie is actually what caused the end of Raoul Julia.
1: <laughs> no, I'm pretty sure that was the cancer.
0: Mm-hmm. I, I think the movie might have given it to him. <laughs> hey, you know,
1: I will I will defend Raul Julia in that movie because a he is the most enjoyable thing to watch in that movie, and actually makes and it worth is. watching. And b the reason that he did the movie is, in my opinion. Awesome, he did that oh, yes. movie because his kids were fans of the video game, and he said, "Sure, I will do yeah. that movie." But
0: yeah, my point I, is, I just, I just think that it. he was taken advantage of, and eh,
1: maybe. Boring. But here's the thing: so that movie being made for thirty-five million dollars, a lot of that a lot of that money went to jean Claude Van Damme. This yeah. twenty-five million dollars for this movie, you didn't have a Van Damme in this. I mean, Laurie Petty is the the biggest name. You can say Malcolm McDowell too, but from what I understand, he you know he just liked the idea of doing the movie, so they were able to get him. He's my
3: favorite character. He's the only one that did a decent job, in my opinion.
1: I do want to know how that water extraction thing works, because it was like (laughs) it's it's such (laughs) a small little bit. Yeah. So okay, (laughs) now he was your favorite character. Okay, cool, cool. What? I want to go around the table now. I want to ask starting with Keith. What did you think of the ripper costumes? The 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 you know, how did they look? How did they translate? What did you think of those?
0: Um, I thought that they were slightly better than the Ninja Turtle costumes from the <laughs> third movie. Okay. Um, and that's me have, you know, that's me today finally watching the movie and looking at it and be like I, I've been spoiled by modern movie prosthetic applications. This is this is not palatable.
1: Okay, uh, David.
2: Uh, What were so, uh, yeah, so what year did the uh, Ninja Turtle movie come out?
3: The original was 90.
2: Okay, so I think for the time they were not bad.
1: Okay, AJ, what did you think?
3: I think I'm going to have to find an ambient tonight so I can fall asleep and not
1: have nightmares. Uh-huh. So, the Ripper costumes... Now, the the Ninja Turtles were Jim Henson Creature Shop. And these were not Jim Henson, but they were done by Stan Winston and his shop. They were
2: they were John Honston.
1: So, Stan Winston actually did... His, his shop did the animatronics, and uh, it took three people to, to run them. Uh, each one, because they had to articulate the ears and the tail, uh, four hours worth of makeup. They did it for half their normal cost, um, and they, they did that because they really wanted to do this movie. So Stan Winston, that was, what was great was the director was like, yeah, we'll you know, send it out to all the effects houses, and you know, none of them are going to respond back, but whatever. And Stan Winston comes back, and he's like, let's sit down and have a meeting. <laughs> and they sit down in the meeting, he's like, we want to do this, and we'll do it for half our normal cost. So you got for ninety five, and for what they were going for, I think it was pretty good to get the ears to articulate like that, and it feel pretty natural. Um, I thought was really good. I did like a couple of the, the jokes they had with that.
0: Was I think the highlight of those uh, costumes? Oh, but definitely. They were they were still um, I believe them to be subpar.
1: Huh. I mean. Uh-
0: but that that's me, you know, growing up, having a love of the Jim Henson work. You know, that's why thats why I'm like, it's its right around third Ninja Turtle movie after they had stopped going to Henson.
2: I, uh, I take back my good for the time comment, because I just looked up the year that the Gremlins came out, because that's what the years reminded me of. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that came out 11 years earlier, so they would have been good 11 years earlier.
1: Well... So, Yes, but Gremlins is a very different thing because they were a lot smaller. That was like a single puppeteer per Gremlin. This is, you know, each basically each ear had a puppeteer. I don't know. I just yeah, I thought but, it was pretty cool uh, to, to see that you know uh, a guy like Stan Winston and his Creature Shop would go far enough as to say, hey, we'll do it for half price. You know, we and that's uh, and if you have a passion, that, that you know you do that.
3: I, I, I'm going to just circle back around, though, to like dollars, because at the end of the day, well, we all love films. You know, it's an industry that is driven by profit. I mean, it's the reason we don't not everyone goes out to watch student films all the time. You mm-hmm. know, I love to find people that can tell me every, you know, every cans winner for the last 20 years. It's hard to find that person. But yeah. like, so, you know, we mentioned Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and. and different you know different group different company very you know more American but like five years prior they made that for 13 and a half yeah and and again like cartoon versus comic but it just you know it, it just felt like given that we could do that in 90 that this is what we got for 95 just it really, I guess wasn't wasn't where it needed to be
2: according to uh, you know take it with a grain of salt wikipedia stan winston himself is not credited for this film it may have been his shop but he himself did not well
1: his name is in the credits so you know it was his shop but um i'm just going by what i was reading uh in a different must have been a different wikipedia post but uh but also seeing, seeing his name in the credits um, now, two things that I kind of want to talk about. One is the soundtrack. So, the soundtrack is mid '90s uh, kind of alternative rock soundtrack um, that actually that did get good critical reception. The movie didn't.
2: The, the soundtrack was my favorite thing about this movie.
1: So you had, I'm gonna have to agree with you there. Yeah, and you know, and you've got I mean, L. Seven, Hole, Bush, Portishead, Belly, Veruca Salt, Ice Tea was in there. Um, you had Devo, Bjork. Uh, there was some movie, there was some songs that you know were in the movie that didn't make the the actual soundtrack disc. Um, but uh, you know, it had Iggy Pop on there too, who has a cameo in the movie. Uh, I don't know if any of you noticed that.
0: As a pedophile.
1: Yes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, you know, you still got Iggy Pop in the movie, so that's saying something.
1: And Graham Revell did the the non you know. Licensed music parts of the um, movie, which really all that stood out to me was that one little guitar lick that would play for Tank Girl. That to I could not every time I heard it, it sounded like uh, Black Sabbath's Supernaut was all I could think of. I don't know why it reminded me of that. Something about that guitar riff, but that was the only like non-licensed music that I really could could pull out from uh, watching it. Other than that, all I remember are you know Bjork. The girl you want which was the mu- the music in the opening of the movie was uh, Devo did the song originally and they re-recorded it for this movie because they were mm. big fans of the comic so um, I did read that the other thing was and this has been kind of a running theme on this show but I think this would have made a good either animated or live action series as opposed to a movie because with a series you can build this world up this just chucks you right into it and says, look, a comet hit, everything went... Did you have any idea that this was supposed to take place in Australia? Did they mention that anywhere? Because I don't remember that.
2: Uh, they didn't, but it sort of was pieced together when they talked about uh, New Zealand,
0: and obviously they were famous.
1: You're right, but I mean, they uh, never okay. they never explicitly say that it's Australia, but it's supposed to be they set there.
0: And they got their right. steering wheels on the wrong side for it to be Australia anyway. So I it didn't really feel like... Well that's because they
1: been... yeah that's because they filmed it in Tucson Arizona <laughs> um but it would be Tucson ugh you know it i I just I feel like kind of like when we talked about Titan AA a few weeks ago um you know this would make for a good series because you could build you could have it start shortly after the comet hits you could build up you could talk about you know Things like, okay, how does this tank have kind of AI? You can have a whole bit building that part up. You can build up water and power. You can build, like, you can just do more given a longer timeline that something like a comic strip and a comic book can do that this movie can't. And I think it would, I think it could be done really well it, if it were, if the right people did it, I think it could be really good. But just to do a film. And that was the problem. And it's still, I think, a problem today, but it's less so today than it was 20 years ago, which was, hey, here's a cool property. Well, we got to make a movie out of it. And that's how you get Spawn. That's how you get Tank Girl. That's how you get, you know, all this stuff that's based on properties. That I mean,
2: that's how we are blessed with
1: Spawn. <sighs> sure. Yeah, we'll go with that. Um, you know, it. there's so many of those movies that,
3: did you just vote someone off the island?
1: Maybe. <laughs> no, I just I just think that this could have made uh, a pretty decent series. They, there was talk for a while about trying to get a, uh, a reboot movie going that uh, Rachel uh, Talale um, wanted to get the rights to do it again, and apparently the rights are kind of a legal quagmire because of something to do with whatever, you know, acquiring rights for stuff from other companies, but... Um, I just think that it could have been actually a pretty good, uh, pretty good series because um, it's popular. It's got name recognition now more so than it did in the mid nineties. To where I think somebody gets a hold of it now, there is going to be enough of a fan base to warrant, you know, a Netflix type series or a, uh, you know, Hulu or somebody like that yeah. picking it up and doing, uh, you know, a ten episode series. See how it does, and then you can move on from there.
2: Yeah. I would have preferred this as a series as well, but I think if it had been done at the time, it wouldn't have worked, because at the time, there weren't really easy ways to do R-rated shows.
1: No, there that's... Because this, could,
2: this couldn't have been anything. Yeah, R-rated. we didn't have
3: Rick and Morty and Archer back
1: back then.
0: No. I think it could have made it on Liquid TV. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Maybe, maybe, maybe on liquid television, but you know, it's funny when, uh, when she was shopping around the rights for this movie and trying to get it made, Disney was one of the companies that wanted to maybe make it. And the director was like, ah, uh-uh, no, we're not going cause she knew Disney wouldn't let her do it the way that it needed to be done. This um, was
0: also about the time that Disney picked up ICP. The Malenko was on, the great Malenko was on the shelf for like four hours and Disney had it pulled and decided they were just going to vault this stuff and forget about it.
1: Well, that's probably a case of not really understanding what it is you're buying. Uh, but that's a discussion for a different time. Um, <laughs> right. You know. No which... i I could see this even a- animated or live action. I could see this working. You know in the in the context I think this
2: of would today. Be a great animated program. I it think would, it would go was... over
1: a lot better anime than live action. Would be cool if they went
2: you know, hearkening to the creator if they went with the guy who does the gorillas' animation.
1: Yeah, well, you know, here's the thing, though. Even live action, you could do it today because you could do the Rippers right, where they actually look like... Because in the comic, they were very, very kangaroo. Yeah, they weren't in as the comic, old. they
2: were basically just Rue from Winnie the Pooh. <laughs> he was destroyed some childhood memories, thank with, you. Uh, with punk uh, influences. <laughs> also, I think they made... Fuga, a little more simple, uh, as, as I shall say, than he was in the comics.
1: Oh, probably. Again, that's that tropiness. Um, you know, you got to have that kind of simpleton character, and they they maybe you know steered a little you know, too much into that.
2: Fuga is a fixture of the comics. Yeah. Well, you know, I don't. know. I, like, know, could have, I, don't know. I could, felt like they could have made one of the uh, less credited.
1: Well, that's the thing, too, is there's eight Rippers in the movie, but you only really ever see four of them. The other four are just background. Uh, No, I... You know, overall, like I say, not a good movie. Um, Probably not one that I'd recommend to a lot of people, but I had fun with it. Uh, Obviously, the three of you didn't, so, uh, you know, I appreciate you toughing it out to watch it. David taking two days to watch it says quite a bit, but,
0: uh, (laughs) you know... I mean... I, I, I watched it, and I really was upset that I didn't watch it back when it was a year or two old, because I would have enjoyed it then, and there would have been nostalgia. But today, it's just, seeing it for the first time, there's there's not much for me there.
1: That's fair. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that was that's Tank Girl. Uh, I still enjoy it. Like, like I say, it's not something that I'm going to go crazy to, to make sure I can see all the time, but I didn't hate it. I don't hate a lot of movies. I've mentioned that in the past. I'm I wouldn't kind of... say I
2: hate it. Of course, it has its redeeming qualities.
1: I think but... the first thing you said was that you uh, wish that you had the time back that you spent watching it. That was so... me.
2: That was him, and I—I I agreed. Okay. Um, I definitely didn't hate it. Is the thing like I—I uh, I don't hate lots of things that I'm, you know, anti.
3: Yeah, I'll go as far as that. I can't say that I hated the film, but I certainly, given the opportunity to unwatch it and have two hours back, and I'd
2: say probably... of the movies I've seen, probably pretty close to hate. <laughs> uh, if several things have had been changed for the worse, I would not have uh, enjoyed it. Um, it it sounds like we're sort of wrapping it up, and I would just like to cap it with this: uh, I paid for it.
1: You paid for this? Paid.
2: We all
3: paid for this.
1: <laughs> well, if you want to look I at paid it that way, but dollars,
2: <laughs> I huh. rented it.
1: Oh wow! You you realize you didn't have to, right?
2: I know. Uh, I wanted the last one.
1: <laughs> no, okay, that's fair. I suffered um, with the commercials. At, I mean, the commercial version of it was there was like two commercial breaks, so didn't bother me too much.
0: I caught like four.
1: Um, no, uh, honestly. Like I say, um I enjoyed the movie but I I get why it didn't do very well and it definitely has its flaws. It's not the worst any anywhere close to one of the worst movies I've ever seen. I've seen some really really poorly done movies. This has an earnestness to it from the actors. And I think for me that probably is what saves it. Is the actors really they I feel like they, try. they care. They try. There's a lot of times where you get actor, you get a, a bad movie, and you can tell it's either somebody who's never acted before, or they just,
2: just not into the film. Yeah, they're just not uh, into
1: it. They're but they're they're under contract and they're getting paid.
2: I'd give them that. They all seemed to enjoy yeah. their time in the film. It was better least, than Titanic two. They made a Titanic two.
3: Lightning strikes twice.
2: Yes. Mm yes i'm sure leo dicaprio reprised his role
3: (laughs) oh you know
1: it uh so uh yeah all right well you know i want to thank you guys for joining me this week um next week the movie is going to be and i've got some people lined up for it but it's the john carpenter film in the mouth of madness is what we're (sighs) going to be talking about next week so be sure to tune in for that one um the show
2: early decision
1: uh we'll yeah. Never do that. No, it's gonna we'll be s- that. That's gonna start happening more often, so get used to it. Um, <laughs> um, the show comes out uh, you know every eh, usually Saturday. Um, try to put them out weekly. Um, you can get it at TVstravis.com. Um there's a big subscribe button right there. So subscribe to the show, download it. It's on Apple iTunes, it's on Google Podcasts. Um,
2: uh, wallow in our pain.
1: Yes. But- Join us for these uh, you know some good, some not so good movies, uh, but we're going to find one that somebody hasn't seen, we're going to talk about it. Um, so yeah, thanks, thank you to AJ. Yep, uh, thanks, okay. thanks, David.
2: Yeah, and I expect reimbursement, <laughs> by the way, <laughs>
1: and thank you, Keith. You're welcome. Uh, and yep, this has been Wait You Haven't Seen. Uh, until next time, enjoy your movies.
0: be
2: a cop
3: figures